Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They'll say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, Fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Grass withers, flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. Belonging somewhere really makes a difference in your life. If you have belonging, if you have a certain club or a certain country and you're really passionate about your membership there or your role there, it makes a huge impact on the daily decisions of your life. It gives you, it influences your confidence, it influences your sense of purpose, it gives you a reason through all the ups and downs of ordinary life, when you think of a, a certain organization, if it's big enough, or a membership to a certain club, or a, a certain identity that you cling to, if that identity is big enough, it makes a huge difference. Your membership within that certain group, it can make all the difference in the ups and downs of ordinary life. And so this morning, just want to ask, where is your primary allegiance? What is that group of belonging to that gives you your sense of meaning? Is it your local family? Is it your, your, your individual family group? Those are very influential um, segments of population. When you have your, your nuclear family and all that that influences you, and if you have a safe home, if you have a, a safe family uh, environment to go home to, it gives you a great stability once you get out in the world. Is that where your primary allegiance is? Is it your occupation? Uh, sometimes you have a very important job, and, and that gives you your sense of meaning, your sense of purpose. This is who I am. This is what I 
I do. And so when you go out into the world, you have a, a sense of swagger or confidence or security because of an occupation. Is it your, your gender? I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm a man. I have a certain identity that, that gives me my place in the world. Is it your personality? I'm this, I'm a, I'm a type A personality. I'm very organized and I'm a, I get things done kind of person. And that gives me my identity. And so that's how I find my place in the world. What gives you your, what is the, the membership that you have that gives you a sense of purpose? Where, where does it lie? And this morning, I want to call you to give your allegiance and to make that allegiance the kingdom of Christ. His kingdom, who He is and what He is doing. The kingdom of Christ. And the reason why we're going that way is this passage this morning highlights three difficulties in having the kingdom of Christ being your kingdom. In our text this morning, there are three different difficulties to embracing Christ's kingdom as your main membership. The first obstacle we see from the text of having Christ's kingdom be your kingdom is that Sometimes people are looking for, these Pharisees specifically, are looking for a kingdom they can see. We see right at the beginning of verse 20, the Pharisees come to, and, and come to Jesus and they ask when the kingdom of God would come. Where is it? They're saying, we want to know where the kingdom of God is. They're looking for a physical kingdom to be happening right there from the ministry of Jesus. It's a fair question. Jesus has spoken a lot in the Gospel of Luke and in other Gospels you, Gospels. you can read of all of his talk of the kingdom of God. It's a topic he brings up a lot. And the Pharisees are saying, you know, where is this kingdom at? When is this kingdom going to come? They're expecting an earthly kingdom. But the, this, the Pharisees want to know when this kingdom will come. But they are missing the central truth about Christ's kingdoms, about kingdoms in general. Kingdoms exist where the king is with his people. Christ's kingdom, this is what Jesus answers the way that he does. He says, My, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Some translations, if you have the NIV, it says the kingdom of God is within you. And I think that's a bad translation. You can read lots of commentators. Jesus would never say to these Pharisees that the kingdom of God is within them. They are not, they're rejecting Christ. They are, they are not his disciples. This is a group of religious people and, and they are not followers of Christ. You could, we could find ways to have that make sense of saying the kingdom of God is within those who are Christ people. But really what he's saying is that the kingdom is among them. The kingdom is in the midst of them. Why? Because Jesus is there. And where the king is, there is his kingdom. The kingdom of God is in the midst of them, is there nearby them, because Christ, the king of this kingdom, is there. If they could only see the king for who he is, then they could see the kingdom. It's tied to this miracle we saw last week. Remember we had the, the story of the healing of the ten lepers and only one comes back. And the miracle of the story is not the healing of leprosy. That's an incredible miracle. But the, 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 the highest miracle that happens in that narrative is not the healing of leprosy. It is that this one man comes back to worship Jesus for who he really is. That's the miracle. He sees Jesus. He sees the king and he worships, not the healing of a temporal illness. 
that they're going to die anyway later on. The miracle is given new eyes to see the king. And here these Pharisees show up. Where is the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you, it's, he, it's right here because the king is here. They don't have eyes to see this king. Belonging to this kingdom means belonging to this king. Having eyes to see Jesus for the king that he is. Christ's kingdom is a supernatural kingdom. It is a kingdom that is entered by faith in this king and what he has done to bring his people into the kingdom. If you're too stuck in this world, too demanding that things for Christ's kingdom to be real, it must mean something in the here and now, right now, in my physical present circumstances, you'll not be able to see his kingdom. The first obstacle is this demanding that Christ make life the way that I want it to be right now in order for him to have a kingdom. That's what the Pharisees are asking for. Why can't we see it? It's not going the way it was. Here it is. There it is. Why can't we see it? And Christ says, it's not. first you have to see the king. The first obstacle to entering the kingdom is having eyes for the kingdom's king. But in this passage, we see the other side of the ditch. This passage this morning, we see both the invisibility of the kingdom and the coming visibility of the kingdom. One of my main ideas for this morning that I've got up on the screens is that Christ's kingdom is a kingdom that cannot be seen, but also cannot be missed. Christ's kingdom is a kingdom that cannot be seen, but cannot be missed. And that sounds like, wait, that's kind of an... If you can't see it, it's obvious that you're going to miss it. Unless the day is coming when this unseen kingdom will manifest itself. And this is what Jesus goes on to talk about. The second obstacle to embracing Christ's kingdom is thinking that his kingdom is one that will never be seen. It's just a supernatural. It's just a spiritual kingdom. It's just things that are pie in the sky and never anything concrete. That's jumping in the other ditch from the Pharisees. To the contrary, Christ's kingdom, though it is cannot be seen in us present reality, the day is coming when you will be, it will be impossible to miss Christ's kingdom. Verses 22 through 24. So when it's talking about this reality, they'll say, look here, look there, trying to find it. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, you're not going to have to look for my kingdom when it comes. You can't miss it. It's not seen right now. Because no one has, they don't have eyes for the king, so they can't see it. But the day is coming when you won't be able to miss Christ's kingdom. The day is coming, Christ has promised, where his kingdom will be impossible to overlook. Now, a lot of end-time drama gets frothed up from this passage of, of all of these details of the lightning and one left and one taken and all of these things that go on. But the, the reality, the imagery is communicating this simple reality. The coming visibility of Christ's kingdom. Though we may not be able to see its manifestation with our physical eyes this day, one day the coming of the kingdom will not be able to be avoided anymore. It will be like the sky lit up with lightning. I love that imagery of, the, of lightning. I, I used to be terrified of storms as a kid. Now I really kind of like them. And the idea of a sky full of lightning, how easy is it to ignore a sky full of lightning? 
I'll tell you, as a mailman, it's not very easy to ignore a sky full of lightning when you're outside. But, you know, even at night, we, Darla and I like to, our bedroom is as dark as we can get it. We have nice room darkening blinds. But even in the darkness of our bedroom, in the middle of the night, and me in a dead sleep, there are times that in a big lightning storm, that flash of light will wake me up. Buried in a room, in, in a house with a noise and sound machine and everything going on. That light, I can't miss it. And this is what Jesus is saying. The day is coming when Christ's kingdom returns and you won't be able to miss it. It is going to be like lightning filling the sky. It will be unavoidable. The brightness, think of that brightness. We won't have to try to search and find Jesus on that day. His kingdom will be revealed. Christ and his second advent will not be a secret. Christ has come once in his humiliation to be rejected. And he was not seen as the king by many. Still today, Christ is not seen seen as the king by many. But the day is coming when Christ's kingdom will return. When he will bring in the consummation of his kingdom. And no one will be able to deny he is the king. This truth is so important to remember. Though we cannot see the full manifestation of Christ's kingdom today, it will not always be so. And for the Christian, this is one of our great comforts. The day is coming when Christ will return and consummate his kingdom. And on that day, we will be with Christ. And as fully as we sit in and you sit by your neighbor this morning and have a real person to sit by and I'm a real person up here, the day is coming we will be with Christ in the same way that we are with each other here this morning. We will see him face to face and that kingdom will have no end. So the first couple obstacles to, to seeing Christ in his kingdom is, is thinking that it needs to be some, some physical reality in the right now instead of this reality of looking to Christ in his supernatural kingdom that has already happened through the work of Christ, been brought to, been, been birthed, but not fully consummated. But the second obstacle is forgetting that this thing, this kingdom will really come one day. But the third obstacle is in the rest of this narrative. Jesus is not yet done talking about his kingdom. And the third obstacle to embracing Christ's kingdom isn't demanding that it be seen now or, or denying that it will come one day. The third obstacle to seeing and embracing Christ's kingdom is the seduction of your own kingdom. The third obstacle to embracing Christ's kingdom is the seduction of your own kingdom. Verses, that's all this is talking about here in verses 26 through 37. Jesus brings up two events from the Old Testament, right? Got Noah and his judgment with the flood. And we've got Lot and the judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. But I want you to notice the emphasis of these passages. Jesus is talking about these two time periods, the flood in Genesis chapter 6, it's clear God is, is absolutely beside himself with these people. They're, they're full of wickedness all the time. And he is, he is sorry. He's, the scripture says he is grieved that he ever made men. And because of their sinfulness, he decides to bring judgment upon all of humanity. And he saves Noah and his family alone in the ark. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah. If you read Genesis chapter 18, it's interesting. They have this dialogue between Abraham, he is pleading for Lot in the city of Sodom. 
And they were, it's this famous passage of where they're trying to reduce the numbers down to 50. If there's 50 in Sodom, 50 righteous people I won't kill. I won't destroy Sodom. Abraham says, oh, uh, let me ask one more time, 40. God says, okay, if I find 40. And they keep going down, they get to 10. And God says, fine, if I can find 10 righteous people in Sodom, I won't destroy it. And then you go to chapter 19 and what happens? Sodom is destroyed. Because he couldn't find 10 righteous people in the city. Both of these accounts are, are the sinfulness of the entire population at the time of Noah and the sinfulness of the entire population of Sodom at the time of their judgment there in Genesis. But, but what is Christ's emphasis here isn't necessarily on their sinfulness. It's fascinating. He isn't talking about how they're, they're so evil in their sin. They're caught up in the ordinary events of their lives. Likewise, just as in verse 7, 27, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. They're, these are all things that we are given to do. You don't eat, you don't drink, you don't live here very long. They're getting married. That's how, that's how the human race continues on is through marriage and the population of the earth. Likewise, in Lot, when Lot was in Sodom, just as it was in the days of Lot, verse 28, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling Nothing wrong, sinful with buying and selling. That's what you have to do to get means. And it's just the reality of life. Planting and building, God has commanded to plant and to cultivate the ground. They're just doing the things you do in life. And the, this is a hindrance to them seeing the king. It's interesting the way that Jesus brings this, brings this up. The accusation against them here is not their blatant sinful behavior, but their sinful preoccupation with building their own kingdoms. It's clear that this is an accusation when you get to verse 31, right? We look down and on that day, let the one who is on the housetop, so we got these rooftops, houses are built different, then you could go up and air out on the housetop. These, this man is up on his housetop and his goods are down in the house, right? Kingdom comes, lightning flashes from the skies, he sees Christ's kingdom. Here's the chance to join the kingdom. And what does the man want to do? Let not the one who is on the roof come down to go get his goods in his house. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. This man is consumed with going down and getting the things of this life to take into his next kingdom. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. What, does, what happens to Lot's wife? The angels take them out of Sodom. They're on the way to this other city. They're, they're, they're going away. And Lot's wife, longing for her past life, longing for what she had in Sodom, turns back. And in looking for what she thought brought her life, she gets death. Commentator David Gooding says it this way. He says, some people are so taken up with material things that Christ thinks it necessary to warn them that on the very day in which he will be revealed to execute the wrath of God on evil, they will be tempted to go back into the house or city to get their favorite possessions but they, because they cannot imagine life without them. For the sake of things, they will lose life itself. That's what's cautioned here with this remembering of Lot's wife. 
She looks back. It's revealed that her kingdom is not the kingdom of the true king. Her kingdom is a kingdom of her own creation. The third obstacle for you seeing and rejoicing and making your allegiance in Christ's kingdom is the warring reality of you trying to build your own kingdom. Paul Tripp is a speaker that's kind of talks a lot about this idea in his speaking and writing. But if you think about how much of the frustration in your life is from not being able to manifest your own kingdom. I mean, honestly, you get home from work or wherever, you get home and, and things don't go the picture-perfect way that you want your life to go. And you end up discouraged, disappointed, angry, and a thousand other things. And at the heart of that discouragement, at the heart of that disappointment, at the heart of that frustration, is you didn't get things your way. What is that revealing? Your primary allegiance is to your own kingdom. Your primary allegiance is to your own kingdom. And the reason why you're upset is because it is your kingdom that is crumbling. I came home and I wanted the kids to behave perfectly. And I wanted us all to get together and read a Bible story and pray together and sing a hymn maybe. I get to play the guitar or something like that. And what do I get home, come home to? Legos flying across the room, screaming, you know, and, my, and, my, and I'm immediately frustrated. Why? Because my kingdom, the way that I wanted it to be, has crumbled. And my heart has been revealed. My allegiance is more to getting things my way than to the honest-to-goodness opportunity. When, when your kingdom crumbles, it is a grace. It is God's mercy to you when your kingdom crumbles. Because He is bringing into your life the necessary sanctification that you need. It is a grace and a mercy that God will let your kingdom crumble before you. Until you despair of building your own kingdom, you will not have the peace and joy that is found in planting yourself squarely in Christ's kingdom. There is one kingdom that will last forever. When the lightning flashes across the sky and can't be missed, guess whose kingdom that's going to be? Not mine, not yours, Christ's. There is one kingdom worth living for. There is one kingdom that will last forever. And it is the kingdom that you should invest in. Those difficulties with your kids, your spouse, your job, your general circumstances, those are all moments of either frustration from not seeing your kingdom built or moments of satisfaction, sanctification, and salvation for all those involved as you see the kingdom of Christ being built through messy relationships and, 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 how, and, and God's providential working of sanctification. This perspective is important to keep in front of us. When we talk about the obstacles that keep you from Christ's kingdom, we're talking about obstacles that keep you out of his kingdom and therefore under his wrath. There's no happy middle ground. There's no Christ's kingdom, my kingdom, and, and the middle kingdom, middle earth. <laughs> there's, no, there's, no middle, there's no middle ground. That's what Jesus is saying here at the end. This one is left and one is taken. There are two in bed, one goes and one stays. It presumably it's to go be with Christ. Two are grinding, one goes to be with Christ and one stays. There's this separation that happens. The one who remains sits under God's judgment. So... Where does that leave us this morning? Hopefully, it leaves us reflecting, is Christ's kingdom my kingdom? Is the allegiance that I have 
to my own kingdom? Am I demanding that Christ's kingdom show up now in order for me to be a part of his kingdom? Am I refusing the kingdom because, well, it's not here and it's never going to be here? Is my refusal to have a, give allegiance to this kingdom because the reality is I want to build things my way? I want things to go my way. Is his kingdom, your kingdom, is the belonging to his kingdom, does that belonging claim you above all other claims? Are you working to destroy every obstacle that would keep you from finding your home in the kingdom of Christ? The good news is that citizenship in this kingdom is absolutely free. If you've been working for your kingdom, if you've been frustrated for your kingdom, entrance into this kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, is absolutely free. The naturalization process Getting citizenship in this kingdom has been paid for in full by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Here this morning, if your kingdom has been your own, if, you've, if your kingdom has been doubtful because you don't see it yet, you don't think it's ever going to happen, it's all pie in the sky, Christ is offering to you entrance into this kingdom. You can enter into this kingdom through faith in the work of Christ. It's what Colossians chapter 1 tells us, verse 13. God brings us deliverance from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love, of His beloved Son. Through the work of Christ, through the forgiveness of sins found in Him, Christ takes sinners in the domain of darkness, deserving of the wrath of God, and transfers them into the kingdom of His beloved Son. How is that done? Through the work of Christ. All of us, every one of you, me included in this room this morning, is deserving, because of our sinfulness, the justice and wrath of God. We have transgressed, we have rebelled. We have fallen short, as Romans 3.23 says, of God's standard. What is, and, and as far as the, the news for you, what can you really do to remedy that? Nothing. You can't do anything to fix that. The reality is, God has done something to fix that. He has sent His Son who has lived the righteous life that you should have lived and died the death that all of us deserved on the cross so that through repenting of our sins, trusting in Christ and His righteousness, we would be forgiven of our sins, reconciled to God, brought into His kingdom, given a citizenship card of the kingdom that is to come. Do not forget that though this is a supernatural and spiritual work today, It is a real event. The day is coming. No one escapes the coming of Christ. And all who are in the unseen kingdom of Christ that is unseen today will rejoice in the day when it is finally and fully revealed. Communion is a kingdom meal. It's the shadow of this true meal we will all share one day when the kingdom of God is revealed. Revelation 19 talks of this marriage supper of the Lamb. When all who are Christ will gather together and feast with the Lamb. That day when all of God's people are gathered to Him to feast and rejoice. On that day, the church and her Savior will be caught up in the joy of final reunion. So this morning, if you're in this place and you want to trust Christ, if you are trusting Christ, if you are repenting of your sins, you are welcome to the kingdom feast. The feast that is the shed blood, the broken body of our Savior Jesus Christ that, yes, washes away your sins so that you can be forgiven. As you confess them, as you look to Christ, 
You are adopted into this kingdom. You are brought into this family. Today we eat with faith, rejoicing in the finished work of Christ, His shed blood, His broken body, in the full confidence that one day, one day we won't rejoice just by faith. One day we will rejoice by sight. May His kingdom come. Let's pray. Father, convict us in this place this morning that we might turn from our own kingdom building and look and work for the kingdom that you are building. Christ has said he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, I build my kingdom and three-year-olds tear it down. Your kingdom will not be torn down. And I pray, Father, that each one of us this morning, by your grace and by your mercy, would turn from our own kingdom building and look to you, trust in you, rejoicing in you, glad to live under your dominion, asking not what accomplishes my purposes, but God, what glorifies you, what makes much of my king. Do this work in our hearts this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.